Thank you for tuning into this week's podcast from Discovery Church. Our hope is that this message would help you seek truth and find purpose. If you would like to know more about Discovery Church, please check us out online at mydiscoverychurch.ca. That said, let's go to this week's message. been in a conversation with like a group of friends or maybe it's your family member or it's maybe it's a one-on-one conversation and you're talking about like a new product or you're talking about a pair of shoes that you really like Nike's maybe or you're talking about how you need to get new glasses so you're you know what style should I get but you're just talking about it you're not actually looking it up or anything you're just talking and then later that day you go home and you're sitting on your couch maybe you're having a glass of tea or coffee and you're scrolling through social media and then all of a sudden you see the exact product that you were talking about has anybody experienced this anybody so it's been happening to me a lot lately and it's creeping me out so I haven't even been like googling or researching a particular product but I'll just be talking about it with a friend or a family member or something and then later that day that exact product comes up on my Instagram and I'm like How did they know? But companies are just getting to this point where they're strategically targeting exactly what we're talking about, what we're interested in, simply, I think, I'm not actually sure how it entirely works, but I think it's just through the microphone on our phones, and then they hear it, and then they're like, oh, they're interested in this, so then they search it up, and then they like target you, and they're like, follow me. But, like, literally, this is happening to me on a regular basis, and it's kind of, you know, creeping me out. So if you know how that works, you can come and talk to me after and let me know. I'd really appreciate it. But, like, companies are doing this to the point, you know, they want us to be following their company. They want us to be following their Instagrams. They want us to be following them on Facebook. And I get the idea if you search something up and you're doing, like, heavy research on it. I know that there's advertisements that come up on your Facebook and your Instagram. I get that. But just talking about it? It's creeping me out. But they want us to, they're doing this so that hopefully one day we follow them, we get to know their product, and then we purchase it. We start to get interested in what they have to offer. We live in a time where the idea of following something is not a foreign concept. You know, the idea of someone being like, follow me on Instagram or follow us on Facebook. And we see all the icons and all of the profiles and all of the things. I mean, we at Discovery Church, we do that. We have it because we're on those things. So the idea of being asked to follow something is not unheard of. It infiltrates our conversations. It infiltrates what we're interested in. It infiltrates, you know, where we go, how we shop, anything that we do. We cannot deny that what we follow, though, is an overflow of what we're interested in, what our heart longs for, you know? If you like basketball, or you like somebody who likes basketball, you're going to follow March Madness. You're just going to know what's going on. You know, Dan loves basketball, so I'm following March Madness briefly. I know how his bracket is doing. It's not going very well. You know, like, (laughs) no one's doing very well, Lauren said. Um... But you're just following things that you're interested in. You know what I'm saying? If you're interested in politics, you're going to be in the know of what's happening in parliament. You're going to be in the know of what's going on in the news. What we follow is inevitably an overflow of what our hearts are interested in. So what if you were asked to follow something that you couldn't fully understand, though, at first glance? Would you follow it? 
Within the first four chapters of the New Testament, so the Bible is divided into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and the first four chapters, first four chapters, first four books um, are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These were four of the 12 disciples that followed Jesus through his three years of ministry here on earth. And Jesus approached each of these 12 men and asked them to follow him. We read about in Luke 5, and it's going to come up on the screen here, about a moment where Jesus asked Matthew, the first gospel that you see in the New Testament, to follow him. And it says this, Later as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi, also Matthew, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and left everything and followed him. We follow things and people that we're interested in, that we believe they have something to offer us to make our life better in some capacity. Whether it's a skincare system, a healthcare promo, you know, whatever it might be, we follow something that we believe will offer us something to better our lives. These 12 men, you know, maybe they were unsatisfied with their life, their job wasn't, you know, making budget cuts. Whatever it might be, for some reason, they heard about Jesus, they saw Jesus, they saw what he was doing. So when, they, when Jesus approached them, they said, you know what? Okay, I'm going to follow you. Because what I've heard about you or what I know about you is already better than what I have currently. But the idea of committing to something, not knowing entirely what the result will be, is extremely counterintuitive for us as humans. We don't like to follow something we're not very sure about. We love guarantees. And this world loves to sell guarantees. You know, maybe our internal logic would be like, well, I'm not going to commit to something if I don't know how it's going to turn out. I'm not going to go to school for XYZ if I'm not guaranteed a job in XYZ. I'm going to go to school for this program because there's a high probability I'm going to actually get a job after four years. It just makes sense to us. Marriage is another one, especially in our culture today. It's a huge topic when it comes to commitment without a guarantee. There's a lot of risk when it goes into it. There's a lot of vulnerability. It's a lot of work. And with divorce rates rising, why should I even bother? That's very common. But yet then, we love to hear the stories about the elderly couple that's been married for 50, 60 years through thick and thin. There's something just so beautiful about it that we just like, I mean, for me, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so cute. You just love it. You just eat it up. The notebook, you know what I mean? But going to school doesn't truly provide that you're going to get a job. I mean, you would hope for it and we, you know, we believe that it will, but you don't, you can't guarantee that you're going to get a job until you get the job and you're showing up for work. But then even at that point, there's still a chance that, well, you get fired, they can make budget cuts, you no longer have a job the next day. We've experienced that in Alberta over the past few years. There's never truly a full guarantee. So all of us in some way, shape, or form commit to pursuing something, following something or someone, not knowing entirely what the result's going to be. We don't know what the future holds. James 4.14 talks about this when it says, How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like a morning fog. It's here for a little while, and then it's gone. No matter where we find ourselves, we all commit to living within the unknown. 
I was in high school when, you know, I had the opportunity to say, okay, I'm going to actually follow Jesus. I grew up in a Christian home, grew up going to church, but in, within high school, I had a few different experiences that really just made Jesus real. It wasn't just something that was like talked about. It wasn't something, you know, that I heard of often. It was something that, you know, I'd fully experienced. And all of a sudden, I kind of came to this point, and as a lot of people in high school do, you kind of have crossroads that you need to make. And so for me, it came to this point, and I was like, okay, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to commit my life to you because this one moment that I've experienced with you has already proven to be better than all of my strivings thus far. So I had that conversation. After graduating high school and taking a year off of work or year off of school and I was just working for the year, I chose to go into Bible college. It was a bit of a battle. I, you know, my parents can attest to this. I was just like, well, I want to go here. I wanted to travel. I wanted to, you know, travel the world, live the life. But just all the doors kept closing. So I ended up going to school here in Edmonton and I loved it. I ended up loving it. You know, I was working even just during school. I was at a job that I absolutely loved, doing what I loved. I was learning what I loved. It was amazing. It was awesome. After graduating college, um, actually it was in my third year even, I was dating Dan and got offered a job at the same church that he was on staff at uh, doing all the music for. So, I mean, I was like, are you serious? This is amazing. It's a full-time job. I get to work with youth and women in addiction at the same church as my fiancé. Like, this is amazing. Like, life was, I was like, this can't be real. I was like, God, you're so good. This is awesome. So I just get to do exactly what I was going to school for. I graduated college, was working in this position, absolutely loving it. I was like, I was made for this. And we all know that feeling, you know, even if it's like 0.01% of our life, if you hate your job, you're like, you know, those little things that you do, whether it's, you know, working on your car, drawing, painting, exercising, welding, whatever it might be. And you're just like, this is awesome. Like, this is my favorite. If I could do this for the rest of my life, I would be happy. You know, we all have those little things that you're like, yes, I was made for this. And we can feel on top of the world in that sweet spot. There was a day that came for, G- for Jesus and his disciples where they're experiencing exactly this. The disciples were feeling exactly this. Even the crowds. Like at this point, everyone knew about Jesus. They'd heard whisperings of him. And they loved it. They're like, I feel on top of the world. The story that I'm going to share is found in Luke 19 if you want to read about it fully. But I'll just paraphrase it shortly here. So there was the 12 disciples, the followers of Jesus, and then Jesus. And Jesus was riding a donkey. Why? I'm actually not quite sure. I need to research that more, probably. But Jesus was riding a donkey, and his 12 followers were, like, walking with him. It's like, yeah, Jesus, cool. Sounds good. And they're approaching this town named Bethany. So as they're approaching this town, the crowds began to form, and everybody was around. Like, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. We've got to, like, get our families together. So, they, you know, you're getting, like, picnic probably together. They're laying down a blanket. They're getting their families. They have these palm branches because it's probably hot. But they're also like, man, Jesus is coming. Like, let's celebrate. You know when, like, I mean, Chad Michael Murray was just at Grant Mac earlier this week. So if you hear, Grant, <laughs> hear Chad Michael Murray's in town at Grant Mac, all of a sudden you're like, we got to go. I wasn't there, sadly. But anyways, (laughs) anyways, you hear of somebody coming to town. You're like, okay, we got to go. You tell everybody. So crowds are forming as they enter the town of Bethany. 
And as Jesus is entering, you know, people are celebrating. They're saying, Hosanna, God, who comes in the name of the Lord? Glory to the highest. You know, they're just shouting. They're singing like we were this morning. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's Jesus, like waving. There's probably some girls like fangirling over him. And it's just like, oh my gosh, Jesus. And people are like, they're taking off their coat. And they're like, you can't walk on dirty ground, Jesus. Nah, not today. So they like lay it down before him. And they like lay down their blankets. And they're like going, they're all excited. They were like, this is that moment. Like the disciples were like, I was made for this. Following Jesus, this is amazing. Like for sure this is happening. It was a party. The day of this event is known as Palm Sunday, which actually is today in terms of like Easter events. Because next week's Easter, which marks a week. And this Palm Sunday event was a week before that. It was the people... It's easy to be like the people in Bethany when everything is going really great in our life. It's really easy to be like them when you're like, man, life is going great. Like, I was made for this. Could it get any better? Are you serious? And you're just like, yeah, Jesus, like, take my coat, lay it down, take my blanket. Like, you can for sure have it. It's like, oh, everything's going great. Like, here's my situation. You know, here's my things that I'm, like, not really stressed about because life's going pretty good. Like, you can take it anyway. It's like, here are my finances, God, because, you know, we're sitting pretty good. So we actually don't, like, we're not too worried about it. But, like, you can have our finances. And it's like, our marriage and our relationships. Like, yeah, Jesus, they're yours. Like, have your way. I trust you. You know, you're good. I hear that you're good. So, like, here you go. It's really easy to be like that when everything is going well. We love to follow Jesus and we love to, you know, follow people, follow events, follow movements when things are going really, really easy. It's easy to follow Jesus when life is a party. The disciples were there. The crowds were there. laying everything that they had before God. Like, you can have it. But then... A few days passed. You ever feel like everything just changes like in a moment? I feel like we're all too familiar with this in Edmonton. When it is spring one day and you have like your sandals and you're like, yeah, springtime, come on. And then like literally 12 hours later, it's winter warning and the wind is blowing and you go outside and it's like death. I feel like... (laughs) literally this past week. I think we're just all too familiar with this, where it just like, things just change in like one moment. The disciples knew exactly what this felt like all too well as well. You know, Sunday was Palm Sunday. They're walking in, everything was going great. They were super popular. This was like the thing to do. And then Thursday comes and they find themselves at this dinner with their man, Jesus. You know, they're eating, they're having a good time. And little did they know that this was going to be the last dinner that they had together. This was going to be the last night that they had all together. Is this iconic moment before Jesus would tell them that he was going to be arrested and crucified. Is this moment that Leonardo da Vinci painted. Like we've seen this painting. It's a famous painting with Jesus and the disciples all around. And they're all on one side of the table looking at Jesus. We all know this moment. It was an iconic moment but it was their last moment together. And as Jesus shared that this was gonna be the exact, like the last night that they had together before he was gonna be betrayed and arrested and crucified, like they were devastated. 
Like they had just devoted their past three years. They had left everything that they knew behind their family, their jobs, like their comfort zones. They were following Jesus and being like, what do you, what do you mean you're getting crucified tomorrow and you're getting arrested tonight? And this is the last time that we're all going to be together. I don't understand. Like I just committed all of my life to following you. And now you're telling me that this is like, this is it. Like, what am I supposed to do? Everything changed for them in one moment. I was a year into this position that I was telling you about that I loved. I was one year into it, and I was working with youth and women in addiction, and I, I was loving it. But then I was driving north in uh, Daniel's Jeep. It was his favorite Jeep. And this guy, for whatever reason, ended up turning left and hitting my driver's side door where I was driving, just crashed. Once everything settled, I found myself in the Jeep on the side of the road, just like sitting there being like, what just happened? So you start to, if you've been in a car accident, you know what this kind of feels like, where you're just like, um, so you start to wiggle your toes, like, okay, start to, you know, move your legs a little bit. You're like, okay, I'm good. You know, then you move on to like your back and your arms and your neck and you're like, oh, feeling great. This is amazing. You know, there's no glass shattered. The windshield didn't crash. Airbase didn't go off. So it's like, man, praise God. This is great. I'm feeling amazing. So, you know, I start to try to get out of the car and so I Jimmy opened the door and driver's side wasn't opening. So I was like, oh, okay. So start to like crawl into the other side and go through the passenger side door. I grabbed what I, what I needed, found my phone and stuff, called Dan, called AMA, called my mom. And to all of them, I was just like, I'm okay. It's all good, actually. Like, I'm doing really well. Uh, I just need a ride because the car is totaled. Everything's all good. And I was literally just like, honestly, praise God. This could have been so much worse. Wow, this is amazing. I was like, sky high. I was like, this is great. What a good story of God's faithfulness. This is going to be so wonderful. But then a few days went on. You know, I go up for follow-up doctor's appointments, just trying to be wise about the situation. And... What started to be, started as two weeks off work, ended up being six months off work, and then led to me having to actually step down entirely from my position, not returning to my job at all. Unable to, you know, return to a few different reasons, but primarily concussion, depression, PTSD, all these kind of sorts of things. I couldn't get out of bed for months outside of, you know, going to doctor's appointments where our family would drive me to, going to physio. Um, you know, these were like the highlights in my day. Like, okay, get to physio. Okay, you know, get to the doctor. Okay, you know, thanks mom for driving me again. Thanks dad. You know, all of these things, the people that would take me. I couldn't like literally do anything, let alone yet gro- get groceries, be a wife, be a friend, be a sister. Like my whole world changed in this like moment. It was one moment. So what do you do when things just don't turn out the way that you thought they would? What do you do when everything that you thought would give you purpose and joy and peace and belonging and acceptance and drive and, you know, bring joy to your life just doesn't anymore? What do you do in your ideal job or your dream vehicle? Everything that you've ever hoped for 
that you've invested in, that you've studied for, that you've put years and years and years into just doesn't exist. What's left? It was one moment. And the disciples were left asking this, being like, what's left, Jesus? Like, I gave you everything. And now, like, I just don't understand. In the moment that everything falls apart, what is your response? A stirring began to rise among the crowds and the authorities. And within a few days, the crowds declared, the crowds who declared the name of Jesus in Bethany even, just started to turn on the very person that they adored. It was quickly becoming a very unpopular thing to be a follower of Jesus. And it just wasn't actually safe anymore. You could get arrested. And recognizing this building tension, one of the disciples named Judas, he decided to be like, yeah, I need to take things into my own hands. So he, you know, picks up. He's like, yep, thanks, not laying it down anymore. You know, got to figure out how I'm going to, like, protect myself in this situation. So he made a deal with the authorities who were planning to arrest Jesus that in exchange for 30 silver coins, he would lead them to where they could arrest Jesus. In exchange for a month's wages, he chose to betray and give up the life of God, the life of Jesus. He uh, decided to betray the very thing he devoted his life into and instead made sure that his life was comfortable, that he'd be okay. Mm. Not giving my life to you anymore, man. This is looking sketchy. Peter, another one of Jesus' now 11 disciples, also made the decision. Once Jesus was arrested and beginning his trial, a lot of people would come up to him and be like, you were with Jesus. I saw you. You were with him. And he'd be like, nope, was not. Do not know what you're talking about. Just like denied it entirely. And why did he do this? Well, Peter was afraid. Being a follower of Jesus at this point could have gotten him arrested, could have gotten him killed. And out of fear of judgment, maybe, fear of rejection, fear of failure, humiliation, or loneliness, sometimes we too also deny the very thing that we said that we loved only a moment earlier. And I don't think that we're all that different, that I'm all that different, that humanity today is actually all that different. We can so quickly you know, deny that when garbage goes down in our life and, you know, just life happens, we say, God, I don't actually know if you exist. This isn't really all that I bargained for. I'm really just not sure. There was a moment, too, that I came to in this season. I found myself just in the bathroom floor of our house, and I was just, like, weeping. I was just, like, so broken. I was just, like, I just don't know how I'm going to get through this. I was constantly in pain, and I was just crying, just tears of just like hopelessness. It's like my heart was getting ripped out of my chest. I don't know if any of you guys had been there. But it was in that moment when we're just like devastated that Jesus was just like, hey, I love you. I love you. It's all gonna work out. It's gonna be okay. I'm not gonna leave you in this place. And it was just like that, another moment that everything changed. Like physically nothing changed. Still had to go to the doctor a lot, physio a lot, all of these things. Relationally or situationally just didn't change, you know. But emotionally it changed. Spiritually it changed. All of a sudden I wasn't worried anymore. 
about what life was going to look like, when I was going to work again. You know, all of these things. I wasn't stressed anymore. All of a sudden, it wasn't so daunting. It's like, no, God's like, Jesus has got it. It's going to be okay. I'm going to, like, it's going to work out. I had peace all of a sudden because of those words, I love you. And it wasn't something that I would think in that moment. It wasn't something, that's not where my headspace was at. But Jesus said, I love you. So Jesus was taken by the authorities. He was stripped. He was beaten. He had to carry his cross. And as this was all happening, he was getting crucified. He was getting nailed onto the cross. There was just a whole mix of emotions taking place in this field as this was happening. So some people were mocking. Some people were laughing. Some people were like, yes, you can't save yourself. Just like making all of these hysterical things. And some were gambling over the cloak that they'd ripped off of him. You know, they, as they were beating him and stuff, like they would like rip his, you know, cape off or all of these different things on his cape, his like clothing that he was wearing. <laughs> they'd like rip it off and people were gambling over it, kind of like making a mockery of it. And some were denying that they had ever associated with him in the first place. Little did anyone know that what was taking place on the cross was bigger than anything imaginable. He was saying, I love you. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing as he took his last breath. And could you imagine, you know, like what that moment was like, what the next day was like, you know, that happened on the Friday and the Saturday. It's like, so is that it? He's dead. Sweet. It's like the 12 or the 11 disciples now were just like, okay, so now what? You know, like depression and anxiety and frustration and confusion were all existent in this moment. And it's just like, what do you, what do you do? They thought this was the end. But then Sunday morning came. Come on. But then Sunday morning came. And Jesus rose from the dead. And he appeared to his disciples. And scripture says, peace be with you, Jesus said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost, naturally. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. A couple of verses down, it says, Yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die, but then he would rise on the third day. Even though Jesus said he was going to rise, even though he told the disciples before he was even arrested and crucified, that he was going to die. He also said that he was going to rise again. He had told them this. They knew this. But in the midst of everything that was going down, even in the midst of their darkness, their depression, their hopelessness, they forgot. Said, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. And we can get caught up in our Saturdays. We can get caught up on our Fridays of darkness. But what are we focused on? in the midst of our trials? What are we focused on when everything is falling apart and we literally have nothing to show for it? What are we focused on when we're at our lowest? Do we remember that Jesus rose on the third day? That there's light at the end of the tunnel and it's not just some cliche. But it's actually like, no, no, no. I'm actually here with you in the midst of your depression. I'm actually here with you in the midst of your darkness. So don't give up. Like, I've got you. Do we forget that? I forgot that. I forgot that. But then Jesus said, I love you. 
So what are we following? Today we have to make a choice of what we follow. Thanks for taking time to listen to this week's message from Discovery Church. If this ministry has impacted you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Please email us at info at mydiscoverychurch.ca.